Well, I've titled my sermon, um, really an imperative, the title to the sermon is Be a Prayer Warrior. That's my title and our, our exhortation today, Be a Prayer Warrior. And I've decided to title it this because our passage is in Ephesians chapter 6 and it concerns the application of prayer to spiritual warfare. You and I, if we're enlisted in the Lord's army, are to be prayer warriors. And I just want to say that prayer is a precious topic to the believer. I I want to say at the outset here, before we even delve in, that sometimes I think we treat prayer as just the convicting topic in the Christian life. You hear prayer and you you, you nod your head and you go, yep, that's going to be a convicting one. And as I was thinking about that and preparing this and really looking at the thrust of this passage, I want to tell you that I want this passage to encourage us today. To encourage you. Of course we feel conviction because we want to pray more. But this passage we're going to look at is meant to fill you with motivation to pray. Don't just hear the imperative, be a prayer warrior and think it's a guilt trip about how much you're going to probably fail at it. Or rather, I'd like to exhort us to sort of shift our thinking and instead think about the fact that you get to have the resource of prayer as a warrior. You get to have the power and the pleasure of Almighty God at your disposal in the, to work out His means through your request to Him. I think we lose the magnitude of that. This is the way Paul views prayer in spiritual warfare. Uh, Prayer is viewed by Paul as powerful, and it's viewed as expected, and it's viewed as an an effective resource. It's viewed as a privilege that believers are going to take advantage of, and it's within the means of God bringing victory. That is how you and I need to approach prayer. Uh, We need to be wary of viewing prayer as as sort of a a futile exercise because, you know, God is sovereign over all things anyway and, you know, prayer is is it really going to change anything? He's decided what's going to happen. So, yeah, maybe I'll pray more as the, you know, I've been commanded to, the motion I should go through. Uh, we need to be aware of that. that. That is actually flat out wrong. Yes, God is sovereign over all things and all outcomes, but just like all things, just like evangelism and going to work and living our lives in obedience, all things are within God's sovereign means. And Scripture does not view prayer as a futile exercise. It actually views it as totally the opposite. Very effective. Actually changing things. Uh, To say that prayer is kind of useless because of God's sovereignty would be a hyper view of God's sovereignty. Scripture plainly teaches us again and again from cover to cover that God brings things to pass often through the prayers of His people. You can go to the beginning of your Bible, the patriarchs, and how Abraham prays. And you can look at Moses, and you can look at the common people in Scripture, like Hannah and the psalmists. 
You can look at the prophets. You can look at Jesus and the apostles. Prayer is effective. And I want to ask us, do we believe that? Do you believe your prayer actually is going to be used by God to bring His purposes? I like the way Elizabeth Elliot puts this. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between His will and its accomplishment on earth. I hope that reality encourages us to pray and to be prayer warriors. This is how Paul viewed prayer in God's operations as he looked at the spiritual landscape of war. And the exhortation really is this, that prayer is within his means to bring all things to pass and all outcomes, so get in on it. Get in on this means that God has appointed. And the last time I taught about a, about a month ago, I taught from the same familiar passage in Ephesians 6 about putting on the full armor of God. And what it means to put on the full armor of God. Getting behind the metaphor to the practical living. And the main point that we saw repeatedly in the passage, you can look for it in Ephesians 6, the emphasis is to stand. It's not even so much about fighting as it is about just standing as a Christian. The idea of standing is repeated against the schemes of the devil. To stand on the evil day. Having done all, it says, to stand firm. And so much of the Christian life really is about standing strong in the battle. Now, the Christian life is not passive, it requires our effort, it requires perseverance. Scripture is clear that our sanctification requires effort. It's also clear that the power to do so is not found within ourselves, but in Him. And so this whole passage began by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 10. And that's really what this whole passage about putting on the armor has been about. The virtues we apply are called armor, implying we actively fight. It's, there's action to be taken. But notice, it's the armor of God. It's the armor of God. It's actually a picture of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, this boils down to a Christ-like life. This means to standing strong in the spiritual battle of the ages is just a call to be more like Jesus. And to be more like Jesus, we need to fully depend on Jesus. And we ended in verse 17 last time with the last piece of armor, uh, but that wasn't the end of the application. That wasn't the end of the passage. The passage continues to describe the means in which we are to stand in this battle. And it's another vital means that Jesus Himself employed in His own earthly life against the enemy when He was standing. And it is the means of applying prayer. Jesus, the God-man, prayed. And if you and I resolve to stand in spiritual warfare... You must be a prayer warrior. 
This is where I think Paul comes full circle to his first point in the call to fight in verse 10. To be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. I think it's purposeful that we're to go to prayer and that he emphasized that point at the beginning because if we were only told to put on the armor and to fight the enemy, I think we would be tempted to think that perhaps it's our ability that is standing against the schemes of the enemy. That perhaps it's our skill as spiritual warriors to remain standing. But the call to prayer is meant to call us back to relying upon God. This is where the strength in the Lord comes from. And I was just thinking about church history, and it's noteworthy that the the hallmark of God's greatest spiritual warriors throughout history, it's not the ability to speak well, because not everyone is able to speak well, and not all are gifted to teach. It's not knowledge of the Bible, although there have been those who are scholars and trained theologians, but not everyone is gifted in that area. The common trait among all those who have stood and been mightily used by God in their time has been prayer. Prayer. The men and women of God who have stood for Him were on their knees before Him. And actually, I'll continue to quote various saints uh, throughout um, church history as I kind of go through this sermon. This will be the most quotes from other saints I've ever had in a sermon. I had to actually cut out a bunch. I was quite sad about it. Uh, there's so many things that saints have said about prayer because that's a testament to how vital prayer has been. I want to jump straight into the passage. And I just want to lay out first, sort of ahead of time, um, how I've divided this. There's been different ways that people have divided this in preaching. Um, I saw a threefold division uh, based upon what it means to be a prayer warrior and the sort of direction that our prayer goes. First, I want us to consider pray for yourself in the war. Second, pray for fellow saints in the war. Third, pray for lost souls in the war. Those are the three directions I see prayers going in this passage. Pray for yourself in the war. Pray for fellow saints in the war. Pray for lost souls in the war. That's my simple outline based on what I got out of this text. Uh, Let's begin by just looking at verse 18. Paul writes, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now if you notice, our verse starts in the middle of Paul's thought. That's usually not where you want to start a sermon, in the middle of a sentence. It's a continuing of Paul's final charge to apply the virtues of the full armor. And this is actually an important point because not all Bible translations phrase it this way. There are some that begin it as a new sentence. Reliable commentators have pretty much agreed that that's the best way to look at this, the best way to translate it is really as a continuing sentence from what he had, and the ESV that we use uses it as a continuing sentence. And not only is it the same sentence, more than this, more significantly, 
Um, It not only continues what Paul's been describing, it actually modifies what Paul has been describing. He says, praying, I-N-G. Not to get too grammatical here, but it's not the main verb in Paul's sentence. And that's important. Uh, Praying is a participle. Participles are used to support and modify the main verb of a sentence. Like it, it gives support to a main verb, a main action that is being taken. And to know the main verb of this sentence, you really have to go back to verse 17. What's the main verb here? Well, the main verb is to take. To take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. That's the main action being taken. And now in verse 18, we learn how we do that. In what manner do we do that? Uh, In what manner do you take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit? And the answer here is you do it by praying. So you see why that's important to see this as one sentence. We learned last time that this is a call not just to put on individual pieces of armor. It's a call to put on the full armor of God. They all go together, every piece, in order to stand. And so really, by saying here that we take up the helmet and the sword by praying, actually what Paul is saying and what's being implied is that we take up all of the armor by praying. Every piece of the armor, of the virtues that we apply Each begins drawing strength from God by prayer. That's what it means that praying is modifying everything that Paul's been saying. It's not in your own strength. It's not in the flesh. It's a work of the Spirit. And it happens and is accessed through praying. So for example, taking the sword of the Spirit, we learn that the sword is the Word of God. To take up the sword of the Spirit means that we remember His Word and and like Jesus, we believe and obey its truths against the lies of the enemy. But we don't just do that on our own. Uh, We begin with prayer. We pray for His help according to what He has written. Lord, help me to apply this truth You've revealed in Your Word. Help me to encounter this lie, this temptation, with this particular truth. The shield of faith, which is our our steady trust in God against in the face of the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. This begins by prayer. Lord, give me faith. Lord, I believe. Perhaps you lay hold of certain attributes of God that you recite to Him and, and His promises, like the psalmist often demonstrates. It happens with prayer, and that seems to stir our faith. And so forth with the other pieces of armor and, and what they signify. And this is why it says praying at all times in the Spirit. There's never a time you are to take the armor of God and only wear parts of it. You need to be praying at all times, meaning that the armor is worn at all times. Throughout all of your days, if you were to persevere in the Christian life. And so in this way, you're praying for yourself in the battle. 
You're always putting these on. You're always needing to don the armor and live and put on the Lord Jesus. And so what's necessary here, if this is modifying it, is that you're always talking to God about it. Now you might think it's not spiritual to pray for yourself as the first bullet point in this sermon. Pray for yourself. It seems like maybe it's self-promoting, but actually I would argue it's the opposite. Uh, To pray for yourself means you know you're not sufficient in yourself. That's the whole point here. You're not strong enough. You need to go to the Lord in prayer and rely upon Him. You're not sufficient. A prayer is meant to cause us to go back to God, to always rely upon Him. If we're not praying, it doesn't matter what other virtues we think we have, we're actually weak and we're not strong unless it's in the Lord. But Leonard Ravenhill said this, if we are weak in prayer, we are weak everywhere. Uh, Note another quality here. It says prayer is in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. This is prayer that relies on the power of the Holy Spirit, not only for the outcomes we're praying for, but also simply just to pray. Sometimes we don't think we need to be filled with the Spirit to pray. But the Spirit guides our words. It makes sure that we're in line with Scripture in our prayers. Just like anything in the Christian life, we could do something in the flesh and see how that turns out. Or we could pray according to the Spirit. And we're called to pray in the Spirit, relying upon Him. And the idea of praying in the Spirit also conveys that we're praying according to His will. His revealed will. And get this, it is the will of God that you put on this armor, and that it would be effective against the enemy's schemes. That's the will of God. There's many times, there's many matters in the Christian life where we pray, if it be your will, not really sure whether it is God's will. We're hoping for God's will, but we pray with not a total certainty whether it is God's doing. But in this case, as with many cases in Scripture, we can have full confidence in the Spirit that He is willing and able to give us help in the means of standing against the enemy's schemes. These armor pieces are our confidence. And if we pray for them, we're going to get them. This should embolden us to pray according to His will. Sometimes we don't pray because we wonder if God is even going to supply. But God will always supply what He has given as the means for His will. And it is His will for us to be victorious and to stand with this armor. Martin Luther said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of His willingness. See, it's just a shift in our perspective. How much more we would pray if we knew God was willing. Pray for the things in Scripture. Pray for things outside of Scripture that you want to happen, but the things in Scripture you know you can pray for, and God wants to answer that. 
And notice in verse 18, it continues with another phrase here, not just to pray at all times, but breaking this down into categories. He says there's two different forms of prayer. He says, with all prayer and supplication. I think Paul here is communicating how comprehensive prayer should be in our lives. Let me sort of break these down. The word prayer this time, it really carries the idea of the general requests we give to God. Sometimes when we pray, we give a broader sweeping statement to God in our request. Uh, These are expressions of prayer that we all do from time to time, uh, where we maybe we pray for more of a broad sense of God to, to move in some way. Perhaps something like, Lord, strengthen me to have victory over sin today. That's that's a broad prayer, and it's fitting prayer. But it's it's a broad prayer. Or Lord, uh, keep my mind focused on You throughout my day. Keep me from distraction. Or as Jesus taught us, Lord, deliver us from evil. These are more general petitions we give God. And perhaps sometimes we are unable to quite articulate or narrow down the specifics of what we want God to do, but we're still encouraged to pray. Pray big. We need to lift anything we can to God and express our faith in His ability to help. At other times, we're expected to get more specific in our prayer. Don't just stay a broad-prayered Christian. God likes to see particular requests because He likes to answer sometimes in particular ways and put Himself on display. Uh, This is what is meant by the second word here, supplication. And supplication. Uh, These are given in in more specific situations we find ourselves in in spiritual warfare throughout our day. And they might be prayers like, Lord, I feel tempted by this particular sin. Fill in the blank. Help me to resist. Or Lord, I'm anxious about this particular thing that is happening. Please come help. Help me to trust in You and be at peace. Uh, These are prayers that ought to rise up to the Lord throughout our daily life as we have specific things that come up. And again, the call is to pray at all times. Uh, The idea is that this spiritual warfare is always happening throughout your day. Things that are happening over and over are are things that are in the, the spiritual realm being planned and schemed against us. You're constantly in different situations and making decisions and being tempted. And if you're going to stand strong in the Lord, you need to be ready and vigilant at all times to pray to Him that you would stand. Now, of course, we need to talk about what it doesn't mean too. What does it mean to pray at all times? Of course, you can't pray at every moment of your day. Um, that would be impossible. You can't pray at every moment of the day. Scripture gives other demands for us besides praying that we are to be practicing. And there's other obligations in this life that require our full mental attention at times. And of course, we, we need to sleep. And so it can't mean pray nonstop every single moment of the day. More, what's in mind here is a, a God consciousness throughout your day. 
That you don't just go through your day without God and then come back to Him at night when you remember Him. It's a God consciousness throughout your day that you're ready to call for Him when He's there. That there's scattered prayers throughout your day. Whether they be general or particular, you're unceasingly lifting yourself up to Him for help. As someone once said, how do you know if you haven't been abiding with the Lord? Well, it might be if your prayers always begin with, Lord, where do I start? The idea is that keeping short accounts with God, always being able to call to Him like He's right there. And sometimes it may be formal prayers where you just need to slip away if you can and, and pray to Him in secret and spend time in fellowship with Him. There's times where we need to do that, like the prophet Daniel. Or like the ministry of Jesus, where we slip away. Most times, if we're being honest, we're we're not able to slip away. Uh, Many times you don't have solitude throughout our day. And maybe what this is applied to as is quick prayers that happen in your mind as you find yourself in various situations. Perhaps you're so burdened with tasks and you just need wisdom. And so quickly you you lift your soul to God and ask for help. Ask for wisdom. Perhaps it's while you're driving and you just give a quick prayer for safety. As you're making decisions, as you're encountering problems, just these quick, Lord, help. Lord, help. Sometimes even in the midst of difficult conversations, you're having someone. You're actually talking to someone and maybe you have a moment where you're not exactly sure where this is going and what you need to say and you just quickly, as you're looking them in the eye, just pray to God, Lord, help me to know what to say right now. That's the idea that we have here. That we make supplication at all times. And the real encouragement here is that God's ability to help you is not based on formality or your ability to articulate things well to Him. God is bigger than that. He receives even your quick, spur-of-the-moment prayers. He'll take your messy prayers, your disorganized, disjointed prayers. He'll take your overwhelmed prayers where you're just so burdened and and so tired and so worn out, you could barely even just utter anything. You don't even know what to say to Him. But you just go to Him. And what's even more profound is not only does God receive those prayers, God even delights to answer those prayers. He'll take the mustard seed of faith Remember that He knows your heart and what you're attempting to express to Him even better than you know your heart. You think you kind of know what you're trying to express to Him. He knows exactly where you're at. And He can step in. John Bunyan said this on that regard. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. J.C. Ryle has a similar thing. Fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble, and your language poor. Jesus can understand you. Uh, So this is our first point. 
of being a prayer warrior. As you're going through your day, you're just communicating with your Lord. Talk to your Father. Pray for yourself as you're going through battle. To do so acknowledges you need Him and you're relying on Him. And He will step in to make you stand. When we don't, when we're just coasting, that's when we fall. That's when we lose our sense of peace. That's when we lose the confidence and the ability to stand in temptation. That's when we fall in the evil day. When we're not abiding. When we think we don't even, can't even just go to Him right now. And that's from the enemy. The Holy Spirit will never tell us, don't go to God right now. We can always come to Him in prayer. And I'm thinking of those, the lyrics in that beloved hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The lyrics go, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now this would be a great finishing point. This would be a great amen for Paul to make in his final charge to the Ephesians to stand strong in the Lord, to don the armor and just pray for yourself in the battle and just end his epistle. Grace to you. But he zooms out. This would be actually an incomplete picture of warfare because there's no lone soldier in the battle. And Paul is the last person in the Ephesians and all his epistles to ever view Christians as just individuals. He always scopes out to the whole body of Christ. And so this would be an incomplete picture if we just ended it right here. Pray for yourself throughout your days. Because as with any war, one troop does not act every man for himself. That troops in war are in units and, and have to work together to stand. And there are other troops in the spiritual battle who also need to stand strong against the enemy's schemes. And so it's not enough for Paul to exhort his readers to pray for themselves as they put on armor. He wants us now to zoom out and sort of see the battlefield and see all the troops that are on our side. Which is the next point. Pray for fellow saints in the war. Having prayed for yourself, pray for fellow saints in the war. Look at the second half of verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says to that end, which is really extending his plea to make all prayer and supplication. Supplication is the word that's used again, but now it's in relation to the saints. Looking outside of ourselves. Like we said, supplication is that specific prayers that are given to God. And Paul is saying here that while you're making it a constant habit uh, to lift up particular petitions for your daily needs, do likewise for the body of Christ. I mean, isn't this always the pattern in Scripture? To not just think of ourselves. To count others more important than ourselves. The one another's is included in prayer. This is actually where I think it gets more convicting. 
again, to emphasize the need to pray at all times is due to the constant spiritual warfare that's happening. So he says, keep alert with all perseverance. The idea is that you and I are always relying upon the Lord to help us in many circumstances as we stand strong in the enemy's schemes. But don't just be alert for your sake. That's where it gets convicting. We're very alert when we're actually on it for our spiritual walk with the Lord. And that we're standing in our burdens and our requests. But we're called to pay close attention to the needs and the requests of those who are in the church. And the idea here is actually not like it's the spare tire, like, oh yeah, when you think of them. It's equivalent, if not more important, that you're praying for them. It's joined to praying for yourself. Now this to me, again, is where it gets convicting. Um, We're all very wrapped up in the things of our own lives, in our own personal struggles, in our walk with the Lord. But how much do we give our mental energy and thoughts to those in the body of Christ? To the needs of others? How often when we're going to the throne room do we carry also others in our minds before His throne? Here's a convicting question I've asked myself. I'm sure it'll be convicting for you as well. Have you ever had another believer give you a prayer request, you hear it, and you go, oh, and you you say that you're going to pray for them. A week goes by or so, and the next time you see them, they come to you thanking you for your prayer, and you did not pray for them. Oof. Or maybe you prayed for them once, but then you didn't think about it throughout the week. How about this? Have you ever told someone that you'll pray for them about some matter and then never get to it? Uh, How many times have you loosely thrown around that phrase, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you in that. And then it just escapes your mind as you go on to the next things. But where does that go in your daily life? Is it just a courtesy thing to say? I'll be praying for that. And I'm, I'm guilty of this. I want to exhort us from this text to take prayer for others far more seriously. I want to even go as far as to say it is a sin when we say we're going to pray and then we don't. It's a lie and it also shows a lack of love in our hearts. It manifests a lack of love in our hearts. You might say, I just have a bad memory. And that might be the case. Um, But if it's a priority and you love them, will you not find a way? A necessity is the mother of invention, right? Uh, Find a way to make that happen where you can go to the Almighty God on another's behalf because they've expressed a need to you. There's different ways to do this. Uh, Some people write down their prayer requests. I've seen people with a journal. I've done it in the past. Um, 
and then thinking about doing it again. It's sometimes just writing down the request somewhere, and then when you pray before God, go down the list and keep track of what you're praying for. That's one way to not forget. I've known people who write them down on post-it notes and put it somewhere where they're always going to see it, on the mirror or above their bed or something. And they just see that and they go, I'm going to pray for this person. These things also help us to follow up with the person. I'm still praying for this. How's that going? And you get updates. There's a church directory that gets updated every so often and a list of all the people who are members of our church. You could print that out or look at it and go down the list praying for each person. Um, Most of the time, most elder meetings, we usually close by doing that. We go through the list and someone gets five and someone gets the other and it's just a way to keep us praying for everybody in the body. Um, We could do that. Whatever it takes to get you to pray for your fellow saints. And as a personal note, I found that at, at times when I'm intentionally doing these things, I'm also more likely to follow up. And it builds fellowship and intimacy with those in the body. Those who persistently pray like this for the needs of others are often very rare in the body. And I think that's why the word prayer warrior has often been a designation that's not given to everybody. Well, that person is a prayer warrior. They pray for people persistently. As though it's something that's a a unique case, a super boost that they must have that we don't. We're all called to persistently pray for the needs of the body. Now, I think there are some who are probably gifted to perhaps pray more naturally and fervently. and There's a giftedness there. But in our text... None of us, see, there's not a loophole for any of us. We're all to keep alert and make supplication for all the saints. And when Paul says all the saints, he's of course not meaning every single saint. We don't know all the saints. Not all the saints in the world. Um, the idea is that you don't just pray for the select few believers in your life that you know the best. The idea is if they're in the church, if there's someone in your congregation or even beyond and they're a saint, you will pray for them as they come to mind. The idea is to to widen your, your angled lens as you pray. Those within your church, those beyond your church, some missionaries, whatever, whoever comes to mind, have them in your prayers. Be less selfish in your prayers. That's what I got from this. It's really a call to be kingdom-minded. If one soldier falls, it can always impact others. If, if someone else falls, um, it gives opportunity for the enemy to sneak into the church and, and perhaps cause others to fall. We all need to stand together and seek to strengthen one another and pray for one another. We all need to check on one another that we're wearing the armor. And we all need to be praying that we have it. We're all to be prayer warriors on behalf of the church. And that's one thing that I just mark about Paul throughout these epistles. He's always saying that he's praying for the church. Always thinking of different kinds of Christians. He thinks of the Philippians sometimes. He thinks of the Corinthians other times. He thinks of the Ephesians. He thinks of particular individuals. I think that should mark us. Because it shows 
what's important in our hearts, the things of the kingdom. And God delights to be active in that. This is again where I want to shift from conviction, like this is so convicting, to encouragement. You get to pray for other people and perhaps see God move in an occasion for praise, an occasion for good to happen. When we pray for others, our prayer may be the factor that God uses to change things. Maybe a set of circumstances in their life. Maybe they come to you the next day like, oh, this just happened. And you prayed for them the day before. But we need to not dismiss those things. We need to praise God for those things. I know one guy who said, um, it's interesting that whenever I'm praying for someone, coincidences start to happen. And when I'm not praying, there's no coincidences. And he was being sarcastic. The idea is, yeah, when we pray, God does things. And we can recognize that he could do it. And it should encourage us to pray. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe our prayers for others are actually, they actually could be answered? It could be the factor that changes things. Do you pray with faith that God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, may use your prayer as the means to bring something about? And do you believe that He could do beyond what you expect? Pray big to God. When I pray for someone uh, who's going through some medical issue, I I could pray for the doctors, and I do, and I pray for medicine, but I I always make it a point to pray, God, heal them. You could. We shouldn't limit God. He may just do it. Andrew Murray says this, Beware in your prayers, above everything else, of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what He can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we ask or think. We need to be less self-focused in our prayers. Not just because it's selfish, but because our prayer for others can have an effective impact for the kingdom. James 4.2 says, You have not because you ask not. There's another anonymous quote I saw. I, don't see, I didn't see a saint, who, particular person who said this. And it almost sounds, I'll be honest, a little cheesy. Um, but it's, it's food for thought. Made me meditate on it. It goes like this. It's really a pretend scenario. If all your prayers were answered, just imagine God just took one day's prayers and answered them all. All of them are yes. If all your prayers were answered, would it change the world or just your world? That just convicted me. Do I actually pray for things beyond myself? Do I believe He can do it? God can do big, mighty things with prayer. He loves to use the prayers of His people so that His people can praise Him. Now, I'm not saying He always answers with yes, but He often loves to. And we shouldn't come to Him thinking, oh, He's probably going to say no. He's likely going to say no. We need to come with faith. That's the way we're taught to pray 
in Scripture. Pray big for the kingdom. Pray for big, glorious things to happen for the kingdom's advancement, for the church across the world. You have no idea how even a single prayer you utter can have an impact, even beyond your ability to ever see it. Maybe you don't get to see the answer to your prayer. I suspect that when we're in heaven, perhaps the veil's lifted a little bit, and there's prayers we don't even remember saying, but we said it and God did something. Prayer can even be answered beyond your lifetime. E.M. Bounds says this, Prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them. Wow, that's a, that's a profound thought. As we pray for others, as we pray for people, as we pray for needs. And so we see we pray for ourselves to be strong in the battle and connected with this is that we pray for fellow saints because they're in the battle. And, and we lift each other up and we build each other up as we all stand together as God's people. And as we looked at ourselves and as we look at all those who are on our side in the battle, Paul then extends the scope even more. One more time, just to widen the lens. He goes to those, not just on our side of the battle, but he directs readers to consider the scope beyond the front lines. Lastly, our last point is, pray for lost souls in the battle. Pray for lost souls in the battle. Now at first, before I read these verses, it's going to appear that our text is just a request for Paul. And it is a request for Paul. But I want you to see bigger than that. It's really a prayer beyond merely him to the ears of those who would hear him. Look for it in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, as he says, to pray for the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There's a few things here I want to draw our attention to, but let me just sum up first. This is a call to remember that there's still a gospel to preach. There's still souls in this big spiritual war who are lost and yet to be saved. You don't want to be too self-focused in your prayers that you're wrapped up in yourself, but you also don't want to be only praying for believers and just be wrapped up in the body of Christ and never think what happens outside these walls. We need to remember that there's still a great commission. There's still a front lines. There's still advancement to happen in the kingdom. It's a reminder for you and I as God's people that we're not yet in heavenly glory, but we're still in a state of war. We're still in a state of Christ building His church one soul at a time. There's still evangelizing to be done. There's still gospel proclamation to reach ears. There's still elect souls that God is drawing in. And within the battle, we noted last time that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but our enemy consists of this kingdom of darkness, this this big demonic superstructure where Satan and the demonic realm are operating systematically. 
And we saw that we're, we're not called to love and pray for Satan and the demons. They are only enemies. But let's not mistake our enemies on earth. And we have enemies that we are to love and pray for, Jesus told us. We are to pray and love those who are under the deception of this demonic realm. 2 Timothy 2.26, I preached from this earlier this year, it describes those who might come to their senses and repent as those who were captured by the devil to do his will. True, they're still enemies of God and they're culprits, not mere victims. But so were we before the Lord graciously drew us to Himself and saved us by the hearing of a gospel preacher. Maybe a parent, maybe a grandmother, maybe a person who came into our lives. Maybe on a recording of a sermon or something. Maybe on a tract. We heard the gospel and we believed. Thus, we're to pray the same as as a golden rule. We're to pray for the gospel to spread and for more souls to be saved. I want to point a few things out in Paul's words on what that request really looks like. Uh, First, take note that Paul begins this as a prayer for himself. Pray also for me, he says. I thought that was interesting. As you make supplication for all the saints, you know, while you're at it, hey, think of me. Mention me in those prayers. And that's not an unspiritual request. It's, It's the opposite. Paul is saying, I need this too. Uh, Paul is modeling what he explained. Uh, He's confessing his need to be strong in the Lord. And if we're going from the greater to lesser argument, uh, this should really get us to think about our need for this. If, If Paul, arguably maybe the greatest missionary, the greatest Christian, asks for prayer to preach the Gospel, how much more all the saints? How much more us? This is something for each of us to imitate, just his, his request right here, as we bring prayer requests for unbelievers in our life. I want to maybe sort of modify the way we ask for prayer for unbelievers in our life, based on this text. Sometimes I think we simply ask for prayer that a particular person or a set of people become saved and become believers, and that's of course a fitting prayer request, But how often do we actively look for and ask for prayer regarding ourselves to be used in evangelizing them? That maybe we're the factor that could be used to bring them to Christ. Or maybe we pray for people to come to know Christ hoping that God does something else. God saved them by some means. I'll just watch. But maybe we should pray that we're the ones who would be given words to say? Who would be used? Who would be bold? Uh, Paul undoubtedly has people in mind when he's writing this. Uh, he's been under house arrest as he's writing this, and he's interacting with all kinds of unbelievers. In Philippians, he says that he's talking to people in the palace guard. And he even thought that he was going to be released, and of course we know he was. And he had plans to go even further to preach the gospel. So Paul has people in mind And he's thinking of these people in need of salvation. And his request to the Ephesians is, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm going in. 
He says they need to hear it, and I got plans to go for it. I'm going to be the guy, and I need the Lord's help. It's a totally different perspective to think of the lost. Look at what Paul prays for, or what he asked for prayer for. He asked for really two things that go together. He asked for words to be given to him, and then it be done boldly. Words to be given, and then it be done boldly. Again, coming from the Apostle Paul is, is an amazing request. Now, these are actually interconnected as one request. Uh, Paul is praying that he would not be hindered from proclaiming the whole gospel. That he would hold nothing back. That when a door is open, he doesn't let it just pass by. That's what our human tendency is. Just let the moment pass. Keep the status quo. Maybe there'll be a next time, and then then, then a next time, and a next time. And God's opening doors, and we sort of just want to coast by. Avoid friction. Paul says, look, I'm in chains. I've been an ambassador speaking for the emperor, so to speak, for Christ. I'm in chains. I'm still willing to go at it again. Because that's what he's been commissioned to do. Uh, the word bold, I, I did a word study on bold. It's actually an interesting word. It's a, it's a word that doesn't necessarily think what we think it means. Um, we think of bold and we think of one who's maybe provocative or harsh for the sake of telling truth. Like just very intense. And there's a time and a place for that. We know Jesus was intense with certain people. We know Paul was even intense on certain occasions. But it doesn't necessarily mean being intense or provocative or harsh. Uh, bold actually has more to do with not holding back a set of truth. In the context of spiritual warfare, it, it means here um, to be all speech. That's what the literal meaning is. Uh, all speech. Uh, Paul is saying, as I'm going into this spiritual war, pray that I would have all speech. In spiritual warfare, the obvious task of the enemy is to prevent us from being able to declare the whole gospel. But that's how the kingdom of Christ advances. It has to be advanced through words. And it has to be advanced with the whole truth. How will they hear without a preacher? And one great strategy is to tempt Christians from stepping through open doors and maybe just to, to really just kind of sidestep or lightly gloss over what we believe, or maybe just approach evangelism incognito in some indirect way. Like I kind of mentioned I go to church, but that's still not preaching the gospel. Now to be sure, we need open doors. There's not always an open door. But I wonder sometimes if there's many open doors and we're just not looking. Uh, the idea to be bold is to put yourself out there. To go through that door. This is the Apostle Paul, the, the pioneer missionary of Christianity. Uh, the idea is to, that he wants to be able to step in when the moment calls for it. To always be able to, to preach the gospel as the Lord gives opportunity. And that's what we're to do. That's what we're to ask for in our lives. And that's what we're to do as we pray for other saints, as we pray for missionaries, as we pray for those in our lives who have unbelieving family or friends. We pray for opportunities to be taken. 
You and I have each been given a sphere of people who we interact with regularly. And many of those people oftentimes are those who need to repent and believe. And we each have a God-given responsibility in this, in this short life we have to give an account for of how we took part in the Great Commission. And it requires prayer. And I tend to think that the times I've been boldest, the times I've been most willing to share the Gospel have been times where I've prayed about it or asked for prayer about it. Prayer for ourselves in the battle. Prayer for the other troops, the saints. And prayers for the lost on the front lines. As we conclude this time of study, I I just want to remind us once again how powerful prayer is in spiritual warfare. In, In all these directions. It is so powerful. These prayers for ourselves as we put on the armor, for the other saints as they put on the armor and have needs, prayer for the lost, these prayers keep the church militant standing in the war and moving forward in their posts. These prayers shake Satan's kingdom of darkness. Satan does not have the resource of God to help him, of course. God could just flick Satan and be done with the whole war. But He's chosen the means to put His glory on display through His people, and one of those principal means is their prayer. We don't know what spiritual warfare looks like in the spiritual realm, like among the spirits, but I imagine they're always planning, they're always plotting, and and they're methodical, just like in physical war. And when we pray, we could frustrate those plans. Again, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if they're scrambling around and re- having to regroup and they have to leave. And when, when Jesus resisted temptation, it says Satan had to leave until an opportune time. James says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So I think they're just like in physical war, there are times of retreat. There are times when perhaps the enemy has been planning something methodically for a while and it, it all gets crushed because someone prayed. I think we'll find out a lot about that when we arrive in glory. Some schemes are probably planned a long time and then they're disrupted because of prayer. And this is how the saints overcome when they move God's hand through their requests. Like many spiritual realities, I think we're never going to know the extent of it. But I do think we're going to always regret that we didn't do more of it. Do you believe in the impact of prayer? We'll never know the extent of how impactful it was to the kingdom's advancement. Robert Machane put it this way, if the veil of the world's machinery were lifted off, how much we would find is done in answer to the prayers of God's children. I hope all these quotes, all of these saints' quotes, reinvigorate and stir us. Uh, The power of prayer is tried and true among the testimony of God's people through the ages. And I think that sometimes we look at church history and we look at moves of God and we see the people doing things, but we don't see those who are on their knees. We don't see those who are calling to God. 
We don't see this mighty instrument that is the thing that is moving the hand of God in the lives of individuals and in the church as a whole. That's the privilege and the power of prayer. And it's the glory of prayer for it will put Him on ultimate display someday. The final word of application is is really obvious for us. Um, If we're to stand strong in the battle as God's people, we need to get on our knees. We each need to get on our knees. And I'm not so much speaking of the the literal gesture of, of kneeling, just like I'm not literally talking about physically standing. I'm talking about the posture of our hearts from day to day. We should be marked as a praying people. Our souls need to be in that state where we are God-conscious, praying without ceasing as we rely upon Him and His strength. This is what will keep us standing. This is how God will move. This is how we don the armor and how we stand. And as a final charge, I'm going to leave it to the, um, the Prince of Preachers, one who was known as a prayer warrior in his time, Charles Spurgeon, to just give us a final word. Believer, you have a mighty engine in your hand. Use it well. Use it constantly. Use it with faith. And you shall surely be a benefactor to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this is a topic that we know and we honestly step away from at times. We don't encounter it face to face. We are convicted by the duty of prayer and persistent prayer, but we want to repent of that and we want to come to You, Lord. We thank You for the privilege that has been given to us to come to You as Your children. We thank You that You are a Father who is more ready to hear us then we are to come and petition. We thank You for the veil that was torn in two when Jesus died and is the mediator to bring us back to You. Precious blood spilt that we might have that communion. And may we access it, Lord. May we be people who are prayer warriors. And as we stand in our posts and as we put on the armor, as we seek to obey You and live this life that is a battle, May You help all of us in this room to be victorious and to stand and to rely upon You. And may You receive the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.